We're in Genesis chapter 49 this morning. We'll be looking at uh, the first 12 verses uh, where Jacob begins to bless his sons. But Jacob, his whole life, has been about receiving the birthright and God's blessings versus Esau, his brother. And he will go about trying to receive this birthright and blessings any way possible. But now we find Jacob, and he's an old man. And it becomes his responsibility now to pass along the family blessings and the prophetic disciplines that go with the blessings to his sons. And his sons are really the 12 tribes of Israel. We first encounter Jacob when he and Esau are still in the womb, womb of Rebekah. And that's back in Genesis 25. And we read how Rebekah, she's pregnant with these twins and Jacob and Esau. And they're struggling so violently within her womb that she inquires of the Lord, what is going on inside of me? <laughs> uh, and the Lord spoke to her and revealed to her, there's two nations in your womb, uh, two peoples, and they will be separated from your body. And then he goes on and he says, and the older will serve the younger, which was contrary to all the thinking of that day. Thus we have this struggle between Jacob and Esau before they're even born, before they even come into this world. And as these twins grow, we find that Esau, he's a man of the field, he's an outdoorsman, and he's his father Isaac's favorite. Jacob is more domesticated, and he's mom's favorite. And thus we have this divided home divided by favoritism, mom preferring Jacob and dad preferring Esau. Uh, not such a godly tone to set in a home is favoritism. I always looked at mom and dad and wanted them to be fair. I think I wanted them to be fair above being anything else. Uh, They've set the tone, uh, Jacob and Rebecca, and or not Jacob, but uh, Isaac and Rebecca, and it's a dysfunctional home to a certain degree. Now, the birthright, the firstborn, it doesn't mean near as much to us in our society. Uh, we Americans were sort of slow to accept royalty or privileges of birth, uh, Great Britain, their Prince William just took on a common wife and Catherine, and now they've had a, what, they have a daughter or a son, but anyway. And it's not a big deal to us here in the United States. But in England, that's a big deal. You know, the firstborn privileges that came in Abraham's family, Isaac, you know, and then Jacob, and now Jacob's 12 sons. Tribal families or clans of the Middle East, 
I talk like I know about them, <laughs> are, you know, it's kind of a thing about who do you trust? Which, which side of this family do you trust? And, and we run into this as Americans in areas like Afghanistan, Pakistan, and other areas in that region. But uh, it's not very common here in the United States that we, we you know, have a, uh, what is it, McCoy and, uh, there you are, <laughs> and their battles. <laughs> but out in California, families don't seem to be quite as tightly knitted together as they are here in the South. And the South seems to be a little more traditional, a little more caught up in heritage. But uh, a, f a few years ago, I went to a wedding of one of our young men here at the fellowship. And I was greatly blessed because this fellow that got married, his younger brother, were his groomsmen. And his brother stood up, and he's going to toast the groom, his brother. And I found his words to be very refreshing. He proceeded to ex express his love and say, my older brother was everything that an older brother should be, and I love him and respect him. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is sort of touching. These are the same boys that I know. <laughs> you know, but it was moving that he would say that about his brother. But uh, we now have Jacob and Esau, and there's great rivalry between them. And then it is well documented in the book of Genesis how Jacob desperately desires the birthright of the older brother Esau. Jacob even buys the birthright from Esau, that coveted birthright, for a bowl of red stew. And you know that story. And God can't let that story be told without him telling you, us rather, what he thinks of that transaction. Esau, he's giving away his privilege of the birthright for a meal. And it says, Esau hated his birthright. No, it doesn't. It says he despised it. How much stronger is despising than hatred? And God says Esau despised the birthright. Uh, the birthright for Jacob was this coveted position that he desired. And God says Esau's despised it. But Esau, he does want the blessing. He just doesn't want any responsibility. The birthright carried the responsibility. The birthright uh, required a son become the spiritual leader of his family. The birthright son would teach the other family members the ways and precepts of God. And he would make sure that the children, his own children plus his nieces and nephews and that kind of thing, he would make sure they were schooled in the ways of God. And all of the family would follow the lead of the birthright son. And Esau wanted nothing to do with that responsibility. And to Jacob's credit, he wanted that responsibility. He wanted to be in that position. 
And this gives us a little understanding when we hear uh, what God has to say in God said, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Very strong words for God to say to two brothers. Um, it gives us more understanding why God disliked or hated Esau because he didn't want any responsibility towards his family in spiritual matters. And as we continue, though, in the life of Jacob, the time has come uh, for Isaac to give the firstborn blessing, the birthright, and, you know, the deception that uh, Jacob goes through. And he goes through all this uh, different things, cooking the meal and all of this to get that first son blessing from Isaac. And he has his mom help him out. His mom cooks up the stew and so forth, the game that uh, Isaac loved. And she tells Jacob really what to do to go in and get this blessing of Esau. Jacob even resorts to taking a sheep's hide with a hair still on it to deceive his father, Isaac. I got a question. How hairy was Esau? <laughs> Come on. That, you ever felt a wool of a lamb? I mean, they're, they're it's pretty ragged. But anyway, <laughs> right after this deception, Esau comes in to Isaac and his father, and uh, he realizes the deception has gone on, and Esau wants Isaac to reverse the blessing. But Isaac can't do that. For the blessing of a father in that culture, you couldn't revoke it. It was permanent once it was given. There was no going back and saying, whoops, I was deceived, so let's just change this whole deal. You couldn't do that. In Genesis 27, 33 through 38, we read the reaction of Isaac and Esau after they realize the deception. So let me read you those uh, few verses here. Then Isaac trembling exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he says, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made you made him your master and all of the brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine I have sustained him what shall I now do for you my son and Esau said to his father have you only one blessing my father bless me me also O my father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept the blessing was a big deal in that society.
Esau's anger towards Jacob, it is, uh, it's severe. And Esau comforts himself. The only thing he comforts himself with is, one day I'm going to kill Jacob. That's pretty radical. And we find Jacob, out of fear, he flees his home. He escapes up to Uncle Laban's in the area of Haran. And for many years, there is no contact between Jacob and Esau. I say all that to say this. Fast forward now, and Jacob, he is now old. He has 12 sons, and it's time for Jacob to bless his sons. Not only bless them, he will prophesy over them what awaits them. So let's read this morning's text. You knew I'd get there sooner or later. We're going to read this morning's text. First 12 verses of chapter 49. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as waters, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let my, my honor be united with their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Curse be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So we have Jacob here blessing uh, actually four of his sons. And I have always found it fascinating how the names of these biblical characters, how their names fit their character so well. And, you know, did they wait till they were 30 to name them or what, you know? When we read uh, how Esau said to his brother, is he not rightly named Jacob? The name Jacob did not carry a good connotation. Jacob meant sneaky thief or heel catcher. How would you like that one on you? Oh, you're like, hey, sneaky thief, come here. A few years back, um, I had minor surgery, and they had me in the little recovery room. And as I began to awaken, 
I was fixated on my name. And I'm laying on this gurney there, and I'm starting to come to myself, and I'm going, what kind of name is Don? And I, I'm just tripping out on that. <laughs> and then I'm going, who in the world would name their child Don? You know, I got over it. I'm, I'm okay now. But, <laughs> but a name has great meaning. In verses 1 and 2 of our text, Jacob is mentioned. And he's mentioned as the heel catcher. But also Israel, same person. But Israel means governed by God. And in that first verse, we have both names being used for the same person. So let's take a little look at the blessings given out by Jacob. And first he starts with Reuben. Reuben, you're my firstborn. You're my might. You're the beginning of my strength. You're the excellency of dignity and power. And these are good things for Reuben. But now let's look at the rest of the blessing. The not so good things. Reuben, you are unstable as water. What a description. <laughs> you ever think about that? Have you ever tried to carry water, say, in a wheelbarrow? I mean, you've got a little concrete job you want to do, and you try. You start out with a full wheelbarrow, you get there, and it's half empty, let me tell you. Reuben, you're unstable as water. And that image comes to my mind of trying to carry water in an open container. Uh, That, to me, is, is just one of those very vivid descriptions. But God wants us to be steady. The point is here. And he tries desperately to develop that steadfastness in our life. God does not want us unstable as water. He wants us to be solid. And God works on us to bring about that uh, steadfastness. And Reuben, you're not going to excel. And here's why. You had sexual relationships with one of my wives. Jacob knew it. And Reuben's penalty is he will strive to get ahead in life, but will not. That can be difficult, especially as a young man. I can remember burning with a desire to go into business for myself. I mean, it owned me. And Reuben, he burned with the desire to excel, and he never does. His penalty is he will not excel. He will not be prosperous. And Reuben, I'm sure, worked hard at trying to prosper, but he never did. And then... Jacob, he moves on to Simeon and Levi. And Simeon and Levi, they're mentioned because they are brothers, full-blood brothers, and they're linked together in their blessing and in their penalty, you might say. Simeon and Levar, Levi rather, are violent and angry young men, especially when they were, you know, young men, there in the area of Shechem, uh, 
they were given to what we would call violent outburst of anger. Outburst of anger or violence is a bully's reaction to things that they don't approve of. Dinah, the sister of Simeon and Levi, she has been raped by the by Shechem, uh, which the little city was named after. And Simeon and Levi, they're going to take revenge and they're going to kill Shechem. And you can almost understand that. Their sister has been violated. They're going to make things right. And they kill. But they also kill the entire city, all the males of that city. You remember, they killed them all. And then they looted the city. They are instruments of cruelty in Jacob understands it. But they're not only instruments of cruelty for against other men. They also, it says, in their anger, they hamstrung an ox. An ox, a beast of burden. And one of the characteristics of anger out of control is Selfishness. It says in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. To hamstring an ox or a horse or anything like that was to cut or sever their Achilles tendon uh, on their hind legs. And this would virtually render the animal useless. He could no longer pull a plow. He could no longer carry a rider that animal became basically useless. And uh, there was nothing really for you to do that animal, but probably just kill the animal. But uh, when a capturing army would go out in those days and you took another uh, opponent or another foe or your enemy, you would usually hamstring their horses where they couldn't carry a rider or where they couldn't pull a plow, and you would take away their machinery of that day, their ability to work the ground or their ability to ride a horse. And uh, that was very cruel, but it was what they did. And, and when we read that Simeon and Levi hamstring an ox, a working animal, now an ox you didn't ride, and all it did was plow the ground and that to me is animal cruelty. Where's PETA when you need them? But anyway, we see that Simeon and Levi were the ultimate, what we would call today, bullies. They were persons that were inclined to violent outbursts of temper, and they lived that way. And now Jacob reprimands them but you will hear a person that's inclined to have outbursts of temper and they will say well it's my Irish temper don't blame the poor Irish on your temper <laughs> you know uh, I'm not Irish just a little bit but you know 
But I have fought against anger. I think everybody has fought against anger in their life. But, you know, to say I can't help myself is a lie. That same person that says he can't help it is the same one who will not demonstrate anger at the workplace because it will be held against him. They usually find a victim, a weaker victim, to express their anger upon. But you know, the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. Ah, you can have anger, you're just not to let it be sinful. And I find myself getting angry at a lot of things. I get angry at Nick Saban when he coaches poorly and Alabama loses. I get angry at myself when I go golfing and I can't hit a decent shot. I get angry at popular TV shows that promote sin. I get angry at TV preachers who distort God's word. I get angry at some of the states who prosecute people that are trying to do good who are showing love and the state will prosecute them. I get angry at politicians who think I'm stupid and will believe their lie. I get angry at those that say it's a woman's choice to destroy a baby in their womb. So we as a church, we support choose life, save a life. We do that every month, and I, I'm glad we can do something like that. So it's not wrong to get angry. It's the way we handle our anger that determines if it's a sin or not. We all have emotions, and anger is simply an emotion. God constantly would get angry at the children of Israel when they would worship idols, when they would fall into sin. God would get angry with them. And Jacob, he's pronounced upon Simeon and Levi that they will be scattered. This is their, you might say, penalty. They will be scattered. For Simeon... Being scattered is a curse. For Levi, it's a blessing. Let me explain. When Israel will leave Egypt in about 400 years from the time of this blessing, Simeon is the third largest tribe of all the tribes of Israel. But as they wander in the desert for 40 years, Simeon becomes the smallest tribe. They went from third largest to smallest. Levi, on the other hand, he is blessed by the scattering. For the tribe of Levi will become a blessing after the golden calf incident out in the wilderness, where Levi, the tribe, stood up and said it was wrong. And Levi will become the tribe where the priests of Israel come from. The tribe of Levi does not receive an inheritance, a land portion. They have God as their inheritance. So the curse for one is the blessing for the other in Simeon 
and Levi. Then we come to Judah. Judah receives the greatest blessing from his father Jacob, apart from Joseph. Although Judah was not perfect in his early years, he was sinful, he did wrong things, we find Judah in his latter days willing to be a substitute, willing to lay his life on the line to be the surety for Benjamin as they go down into Egypt. Judah will willingly place himself in the path of danger for his brother. We have Judah being an example of a man who learned from the mistakes of his early years. Learned from those sinful mistakes. And in the end, Judah, he is the great blessing not only for his family, but for the entire nation of Israel and then the entire world because from the tribe of Judah comes Messiah. In the book of Revelations, uh, verse 5 of chapter 5, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Interesting. King David Israel's greatest king is in the lineage of Judah. And in verse 10, we read that the scepter, the symbol of authority, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. During the days of Jesus when he was here on earth, the rabbis and the scribes of his day they assumed the scepter had been taken from Israel because in their thinking, when Rome took away their right for capital punishment, the scepter was removed. This right for capital punishment was the last little area that these governing Jews felt that they still had some authority, and now Rome had just took that away from them. And so there was great upheaval in Israel at that time because the scepter in their minds had departed. They no longer had authority over themselves. But what these Jewish leaders did not realize and did not know was Jesus the Messiah was already on the scene. Shiloh had come. Jesus was there. The king of the universe, the Messiah, was on scene, and the Jewish leaders did not know it. An interesting thought about when Jesus, at 12 years old, was in the temple, and he was asking questions and answering questions from the uh, the Jewish leaders of that day, many think that the conversation that was going on between Jesus and these Jewish leaders was the scepter of power and had Shiloh come. That's interesting to say the least. We don't know that for sure, but it, it's interesting. But it does show the complete control and power that God has 
over people, over nations, over generations. And for Judah, the scepter had not departed. Shiloh had come. And Shiloh is just another name for Jerusalem or peace. Peace had come, and it was in the form of Jesus. Judah, he is given wine-growing lands in the final distribution. And wine is a symbol in the, in the scriptures of prosperity. Judah's life has been an encouragement to his brothers, to all believers. And the encouragement of this, persevere in doing right. Judah started out not doing so right. He had his encounters with, uh, who was it, um, his daughter-in-law that he thought was a prostitute, and, and, and things like this. But he finished with a repentant heart and an obedient heart. And he is an encouragement for us to do right, even though we may have started out so sinful. How many of you were sinners before you became a Christian? Well, most of us. <laughs> you were, let me help you. Judah, he is a man who received God's great blessing and grace. And he's an example for us. Never give up on doing good. Never give up on doing right. We look at Judah who started out so poorly, but yet the way he finishes he receives the greatest blessing of all the brothers. Let me get you to stand, and we'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for being a God full of grace and mercy. Lord, you know, this, this week I look back on some of the things that I have done in the past, and there is shame. So thank you, first of all, for loving me and forgiving me. And thank you for turning my life around, Lord. Thank you for giving my life meaning and hope. And my hope is in you, Lord. And so we rejoice for repentance. We get to turn around. We get to go in the opposite direction of sin. What a blessing it is. We do not have to continue going down the wrong path. The way you turned Judah's life around and he became such a great blessing to all of Israel, to all of his family. And you even brought your son through the lineage of Judah. What a great blessing for Judah. Thank you, Lord, for showing him grace and mercy. And thank you for showing us grace and mercy. Thank you so much. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, before I pronounce the blessing upon you, I'm not Jacob, but I'll do the best I can here. The prayer area will be open if you have any needs. Perhaps you have provision needs. Perhaps you have healing needs. Whatever your need is, there'll be people back there who will be happy to pray with you. So take advantage of that now. The Lord, not Don, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace. Amen.